Good evening. Thank you so much for joining me at this stage uh, here this evening. Now, um, my name is Annabelle Graham. I am the shorter and less credible part of <laughs> Chat 10 Looks 3. And lest you feel anxious, yes, indeed, Lee Sales is in the house. <laughs> She's here. She flew here in the seat in front of me. Uh, and just next to David Kosh, actually. <laughs> Something we only discovered at the end of the flight. Now, um, I annoyed her a bit by putting my knee into her back. She annoyed me a bit by reclining. Uh, it was, as you know, quite a pleasant and short flight. Uh, however, I will say, and this is serious, that uh, last time Lee Sales was on stage at an event like this, it was at a writers' festival in Perth. And as you know, someone threw some yogurt at her. Now, this is uh, allegedly. Um, so this is an event from which she is still recovering. She's quite nervous. Uh, so I've written a little poem to reassure her. She's hovering out the back, and I'm hoping that this will reassure her. Hang on a second. If I were more of a professional, I would have learned this off by heart, wouldn't I? But I only wrote it this morning. So, <clears throat> oh, salesy, fear not. The town of my birth is nowhere near as awful as Perth. <laughs> There's no one in the crowd who's scary or lurking with fermented dairy. <laughs> Your assailant's gone. He's locked up, collared, allegedly. He has no access to milk solids. It could be worse. You could be in Brizzy, where they'd pelt you with something brown and fizzy. <laughs> but now you're here in the Adelaide Town Hall. The risk is vanishingly small. So brush those remaining fears away. We're much too posh for blueberry yoplait. The last thing I want to be is partisan, but the yogurt we make here is artisan. <laughs> we eat it with honey and homemade crumpets. We do not chuck it at random strumpets. Can I ask to overcome her fears and come on stage, Lee Sales? Thank you for that poem. It was... Uh, oh, thank you. It's, it's, um, it's my very great pleasure. In Queensland, they'd probably throw tinned pineapple at you or something. I, I know. Maybe. It would be... Do you know when, um, when the Queen and Prince Philip got married, the, the present... I'm an expert on this because I covered the royal wedding. Um, <laughs> the present that Queensland sent, per the Queensland government, was a pallet of tinned pineapple cans. Like, <laughs> that was the official present, which I reckon is really useful. That was where everyone went for the school excursion was the Golden Circle Cannery. Really? Yeah. Did you have the equivalent in Adelaide? Uh, yeah, we went to the Bolivar sewage uh, processing plant. <laughs> we did! Hands up if you went to Bolivar. <laughs> yeah. Well, it must be dying out as a habit because there's not that many. Right. Meanwhile... Fee, but very enlightening. Meanwhile, um, do you like my outfit? Yeah, you're dressed as me. Very funny. <laughs> 
<laughs> Do you know what happened was I saw this skirt in a shop. This was last year. I saw this skirt in a shop and I thought, oh, I love that floral fabric. So I bought it, got home, and I, then I thought, oh, God, I just don't have anything that goes with it. I tried a few things on Except and nothing. Except crab. <laughs> and so then I thought, oh, probably what would look nice. I thought it would look nice, a little cardigan. So then I went out and bought a cardigan. Then we were doing something together in Perth, and so I thought, oh, I'll take that new skirt and that new cardigan. Got there, put it on, looked in the mirror, and went, oh, my God, I look like Annabelle Crab. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's why in my imagination I'd thought this is going to look good because I'd clearly just been mentally thinking what you look like. And then... And yeah. as it happened, your debut of that outfit was at an event at which I also was appearing. So we, all, we both looked like each other and it was too late to change and I met you in the lobby. I'm just like... Yeah, I'll never forget your face when you saw me. You were just like... <laughs> <laughs> it was such a single white female. It's like, it was just, it was epic trolling. It, it was. really was. It was. But then for me to try to explain, it was unintentional, okay? It was, yeah, it was very well, awkward. Nevertheless, welcome to Adelaide. Thank you so much. I've had a lovely afternoon in Adelaide. Um, I went to Adelaide Central Market, which is my favourite thing to do. It's Although it always breaks place. my heart because I'm often on a quick visit to Adelaide and whenever I go there, all I want to do is have a dinner party and a, make a big cheese plate because it's... <laughs> So phenomenal. And I went to one of my favourite shops, which is called Little Tokyo. Does anyone know it? Because I love chopping up stuff and putting it in little bowls, and they have the biggest array of little bowls. It's fantastic. That's why a dinner party uh, at your house is always so, so spontaneous. <laughs> and that's why it's over by 9pm. You get along very well with Julie Bishop. She really has a very detailed mise-en-place as well. Oh, does Lots she? of things in little bowls and everything very tidy. Oh, okay. Good to know. Anyway, I'm glad you enjoyed... I was actually at the Central Market at the same time as you, but I didn't see you there. We'd spent enough time together on the plane. Um, (laughs) Now, speaking of, you mentioned that we were sitting next to David Kosh. I feel a bit bad because... I, l- I really did not notice that it was David Kosh until the very last second. We were, I was on the aisle seat and he was on the other aisle. And you know how there's that awkward thing when you're getting your bags and it's like, well, who's going to go first? And so I think I said, you know, after you or something. and Get fin- out of my way, punk. <laughs> finally made eye contact and then went, and I, I've never met David Kosh before, but of course I went, oh, Koshy, hi. <laughs> what? You've never met that guy before? No, I've never met Koshy before. I thought all you television superstars just lived on planet you know, Logie or something. What? You've never met him? That's so weird. He's a, we, we are, but he's in the Koshy enclosure and I'm in the Lisa House enclosure. But you've immediately just gone, oh, Koshy! Instead of like, oh, David, we've never met. My name's Lee. The thing that I loved about, because I was, as you know, sitting directly behind, so I had like a bird's eye view of this interaction, because I had sort of, he'd turned around and I thought, oh, that dude looks a bit like Koshy, but what's he doing in like economy class was my main thing. Well, I was just like, brand. can't be Koshy, he's in cattle. Well, good for his brand, I would have thought, to not be certainly much yeah. like us. You know? Anyway, but the great thing then was that you, being your supportive self, have just like grabbed your bag and scarpered while I'm like rustling three kids out and Jeremy, you know. Anyway, uh, and as you left, I noticed that you pulled down a very handsome uh, travel bag, which is like a teal-coloured... Antler bag. Antler bag. I didn't want to, you know, undermine your ABC. Yeah, exactly. Antler. Uh, Every deer should have one. Um, So... And I thought... What did you say? Every diva should have Every deer should have one. I mean... Did you see what I, I did said, there? I thought you said every diva should have one. 
try to keep up. Anyway, yeah. so <laughs> you pulled down your handsome teal bag and I thought, oh, it's a handsome bag, and then off you scarpered. And then Koshy's pulled out an identical teal bag, which makes sense because of the power, right? Their standard issue on Planet Logie. Yeah, <laughs> right. And so when that happened, I just thought, oh, please, baby Jesus, make them have mixed up their... Because <laughs> that would have been the greatest thing. And it kept me happy as I was walking up the gang thingy and just thought that would be the greatest moment. And then because I have no impulse control, I then told you the whole story as soon as I saw you on the, you know, and then we, we checked and... I totally opened my bag straight away and said to crab, unless Koshy wears floral skirts, we're good. Yeah. So, yeah. And even that turned out not to be true, tragically. So, anyway, uh, it's good to be in Adelaide, though, right? It is um, very good. Before we get totally uh, sidetracked, I do want to, as you know, um, every time we do a live show, um, A, we have panic attacks backstage going, oh, my God, does everybody know that the only thing we do is actually just sit here and talk? There's nothing interesting <laughs> every time. Um, and the other thing is that we pick a cho uh, charity locally to support with um, proceeds from ticket sales, and this time it's Muscular Dystrophy SA. Um, now, yes, indeed. Uh, this is an organisation that I like because um, they were very kind to uh, people in my family, um, but also because look, they're an organisation that kind of are about... Um, a, a group of genetic diseases that um, uh, lead to um, muscle degeneration and not all of them are in the same camp and I think often when you've got um, something that's quite rare or unusual you feel like you don't have any friends to go and talk to but this is a bit of a big tent that looks after people with all sorts of different issues and those um, organisations sometimes aren't as um, sort of punchy as your single disorder organisation, but they're bloody useful if you need them. So thank you very much, Muscular Dystrophy SA, and thank you very much for supporting them here tonight. Um, now. Also, while we're talking about long-term charity cases, I just want to, like, <laughs> just want to just say, this is so awful what I'm about to do, but my mother has been married to my father for 50 years this week, and... <laughs> It's a great social service <laughs> that she's performing. No, I love you too, Dad. Uh, but anyway, 50 years, hey? That's the other thing and that... And they are here this evening. They are here this evening. Um, Where are they? Can they stand up? Oh, they're up in the balcony, just like shrinking oh, in horror, oh, okay. I think. Um, is, I won't do anything as awful as make them... Uh, you know, answer questions, which is certainly what you did to your mother on her birthday. Well, your no. father's possibly already left after the introduction. No, just <laughs> he would take it as a, uh, a green light to start heckling. But um, the, Can I, no, really don't. Just the Adelaide markets today. I don't uh, claim to have visited every market in the world, but I do find it hard to believe that you could find a better market in the world than that market. Don't you think? Yeah, I've been telling her and telling her, but I mean, like, I wanted into that place today. They got goose eggs. I mean, I didn't even know I, I needed a that's goose so egg. It's that you raised that. I, I said to the woman, what sort of eggs are these? Because they were so gigantic. She said, goose eggs. Yeah. yeah. Um, have you ever eaten one? No. Do they look like a chicken egg when you... No, I don't know. Uh -huh. What is the use of it? I mean, because duck eggs are very good for pasta. They make very silky, silky pasta. The goose egg... Look, I'm just going to say it's a stunt egg, right? It's mainly for... Like, <laughs> has, any, has anyone here ever eaten a goose egg? 
Hands up. Put your hand up if you ever had. What would you do with the goose? Oh, egg? somebody has down there. I Yell out, what, be... does it, what does it taste and look like? Yell. I was, just, I was only young. Just ate one goose egg. You're like Bill Clinton. You didn't inhale. <laughs> when uh, when we lived in the United States, um, I was living part time in Philadelphia, and Philadelphia has a market called Reading Terminal Market, which is a very famous um, produce market, not dissimilar um, to this one. And the great thing was that every weekend, all the Amish people used to come in from the country, and they would bring all their home cooking. Oh. The Amish are brilliant because they don't have television, so they've got nothing to do except Just make bake. delicious crumble Just toppings. Grow cherries. And, I mean, I think Americans do pies better than anyone, so cherry pie and... You know, just there was this thing that I used to love getting, which was basically a whole baked apple sort of in pastry with all cinnamon and goodness. And then the local Philadelphia ice cream company was called Bassett's, and then they used to put a big dollop of uh, Bassett's vanilla ice cream on it. It was just stop. It's it. almost worth being Amish for. It was so good. <laughs> I wonder what the Amish would do with with a, a goose egg. Now I can't stop thinking about the goose egg. <laughs> you know how like there's the turducken. Yep. Do you think you could do a sort of like an egg to duckin that would be a sort of quail, just, pigeon, I'm Google goose hen? Egg. Okay, can you, can you quickly do that? Can you think of something boring to talk about to the um, crowd that I'm not interested in actually, while I Google goose no, egg? No, it's not boring, but I've actually talked about it to you before, so okay. you will immediately hurry me along. But if you're distracted <laughs> by your own private Googling, you won't mind. Um, because we're in South Australia, um, I would recommend to you uh, an exhibition at the Art Gallery of South Australia by Anna Freeman. I've talked to her uh, about her on the podcast before. She's a great ceramic artist and she's um, done this beautiful, beautiful exhibition in ceramic of items that uh, commemorate grief. Basically, there's an incredible wall where she has reproduced hankies and scrunched up tissues in porcelain. I mean, she's the most incredible artist, but what I love about her, and she, she makes um, porcelain reproductions of old cracked cakes of soap, which is exactly what soaps look like on the Adelaide Plains, which is why it um, speaks to me personally. But she immortalises household objects that we kind of burn our way through and then discard and she invests them with this incredible beauty and significance. I really love this artist and that exhibition is on now. So go and see it and now. Okay, there is some fascinating stuff here. There's some fascinating stuff here. Okay, so it says... This is um, um, Australia's premier current affairs journalist at work, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> if it's not on Wikipedia, you haven't heard it on the 730 <laughs> Okay, so a goose egg's about three times bigger than a chicken egg. It says they're delicious. They can be cooked in the same way as hen eggs. They create a pretty dramatic effect on the plate. Um, it says just as goose meat is more flavourful than chicken meat, goose eggs have more taste than chicken eggs. They're richer, fattier, heavier and more deeply coloured. They just taste eggier. <laughs> so it says any, any recipe that uses eggs, you can use goose eggs as long as you take account, into account the increased volume. So you use one goose egg well, per yeah, two other thank eggs. Thank you, Einstein. I mean, now, can I just tell... Who's writing this stuff? Can I just tell you one... Where was that other good bit of um, thing? So some chefs particularly prize goose eggs for making pasta because the pasta is rich in flavour from those extra huge um, yolks. Now, this is really good to know, cracking goose eggs... 
Don't be surprised when you bang that goose egg on the counter that nothing happens. <laughs> they are much harder to crack than chicken egg shells. <laughs> they can be a bit of a challenge to break, requiring greater force. <laughs> it seems, yeah, it's, it says... In- <laughs> the final advice is... We could be increase- here all night. <laughs> the, final- <laughs> the final bit of advice is increase the force you use incrementally to avoid a, sh- a shattered shell and a drippy mess. <laughs> Have you just been looking this up on Mansplainpedia or something? It's just like, well, they're bigger ladies, so... Uh, Gooseeggs.com. Yeah. <laughs> also, can I just say, I really... I don't like the term chicken meat. Now, I know that it's very... Really? It's like... What I don't else know. would it be? Flesh. I, chicken flesh, do yeah, you prefer? Yeah, I don't know. What, what else would you like, say? Well, like, it's like the German um, word for minced pork is gehackte Schweinfleisch. <laughs> the hacked flesh of pigs. Like, seriously, <laughs> German is a language that will make you vegan as soon as you understand it. I mean, I don't eat chicken flesh, but when I hear the term chicken flesh, it really redoubles my uh, determination never to eat it. <laughs> Chicken flesh, chicken meat. Anyway, this is clearly just me disappearing off into a... You have the hide to take the piss out of me for sharing useful information about goose eggs. (laughs) Look, I'll never go in to crack a goose egg without reinforcements again. I actually want to go buy one now and just have a stab at cracking it to see, like, is it it the full, like, have you got to go... Or I like, think you'd have the... to like you'd have to find a very fine bowl with a, like a really sharp edge, and you'd have to go on that, wouldn't you? For There'd a regular be none of this egg, kind of like put them bing one-handed yotta modelingi nonsense. <laughs> For a regular egg, are you a crack on the side of the bowl, or do you hold it in your hand and crack it with a knife? <laughs> Who holds it on the hand in their hands and cracks it with a knife? <laughs> Hands up if you hold it in your hand and crack it. What yeah. one? Yeah. Look, oh, just the one. Oh, two. There's a few. At a pinch. There's a few. Is that a super sharp knife? And no, just how much? a bread and butter knife. Yeah. You do the opposite. What? Oh, hold the knife and then crack the egg up. Ah. Why wouldn't you just use the edge of the? What is wrong with all of your people? Like it's just. <laughs> it's not even that hard. I personally do it on the bowl, but I have. I. This is just such a boring conversation. I just She's... apologise. <laughs> So much. I have two mixing bowls, one that has a sort of flat edge and one that has a very sharp edge. And the sharp edge one is a pleasure for cracking eggs. The flat one just sucks. Okay. <laughs> She's a margarine user. That's, oh, that's, that's one thing I'll say. That's one thing I'll say. And the second thing I'll say is, now that we've totally lost control of this whole thing and we're just talking weirdly about useful things to do with eggs, if you have not acquired one of those French egg toppers, then you are camping out, people. So I haven't given you one of these yet. Um, I've only given them to my closer friends. But, um, <laughs> but the French egg topper is the greatest invention ever. I read about it in Mark Best's very good cookbook, um, Best's Kitchen Basics. None of it is basic. It's just great, really well-written book. And he has a recipe for these little egg custards served in eggshells, not goose egg, just a standard hen, um, with the tops cut off really beautifully and cleanly. And I'm like, sure, I'd like to make that, but how do I make my eggshells look like that? He says get one of these French egg toppers. So I'm straight onto the internet and for like 
15 bucks. I bought myself one. And here's what happens. It's kind of got a little cap, sort of like an electric chair, sort of, you know, <laughs> thing. And then it's got a little stem and it's got a little ball and a spring. And you pull up the spring and let it drop while you're resting it on the crown of your egg. And somehow the shock that it delivers to the shell in this circle inside the hat just cuts it and then you can just whoosh, off with a knife. ABC Fat Cat too <laughs> posh to use bread and butter knife for All I'm chopping. saying is it is just like every kid wants to do it and um, it is the ultimate eggs and soldiers experience. Oh, my God, I'm still talking about this, aren't I? <laughs> Sorry, everybody. You, Sorry. Seriously, reckon, though, life-changing. Do you reckon David Kosh connects with the audience of Sunrise by talking on the show about his French egg topper? Also, part B to that remark, do you reckon that we could stretch out this entire show to only be about eggs? I would totally give it a crack. I would like... (laughs) um, I've got so much more material on interesting things to do with eggs. Like, don't even tempt me. (laughs) Seriously. I really could. But uh, we can't. No, Um, no, we won't. Um, Okay, what have you been reading? Well, I've had um, a very great pleasure this week, which is um, that I have had a book um, on my bedside table for a couple of weeks that I've been looking forward to reading, and I thought... Only a couple of weeks? That's impressive. Yeah, no, I mean, like, there's there's an archaeological dig on my bedside table, so if if you're near the top, then it's going to happen, but then there's some stuff towards the bottom that just, you know... It's not going to happen at all. Um, But this one is actually by a South Australian writer, which made me think, God, this would be the week for me to read that book. And so I cracked it open really only a couple of days ago, and I've been a bit glued to it ever since. And it's by a writer called Molly Mern, who I've actually met because she works at Matilda's Bookshop in the hills. I've done a few events with them and, um, and met her. I'm like, oh, hello, now you've written this book. It's called The Heart of the Grass Tree, and it's set in Kangaroo Island or on Kangaroo Island and so it's this kind of um, it's a bit of a family saga and it's mainly about daughters and mothers and grandmothers and it's about this family Nell is the grandmother and she has um, a lot of memories of this childhood romance that she had that that resulted in a child who was taken away from her and it stretches back through the memory of this family to the um, early 1900s when sealers, white sealers, would work um, on Kangaroo Island and they would steal Aboriginal women, um, Tasmanian usually, to come and work with them. And it's like, it's a hideous, hideous piece of the history of South Australia. Um, And... This whole history is woven into quite a complex story about contemporary families and about kind of love and loss. And it's a beautifully, beautifully written and structured and very thought-provoking book. I really loved it. And the interesting thing, though, was also the real thrill of reading a book that's set in a place where you grew up. I mean, I didn't grow up on um, Kangaroo Island. I went there for my year, I'm going to say five camp. Um, which was really good. Uh, we did lots of... We made, like, little name tags out of um, pieces of wood and we had to pretend we were possums and imagine what it would be like to have bit, not have opposable thumbs. We achieved that effect by putting on garden gloves with the thumbs sewn 
So it's like, but anyway. Is there, is there any chance we can go back to the eggs? <laughs> anyway, it's a really good book. Um, but one of the things that I really enjoyed about it, and I was sort of surprised as I read it, I mean, A, it told me a lot more about the history of Kangaroo Island and I, I really had no idea about that um, far back um, early colonial history, um, as brutal as it was. But I also, um, I also just really reveled unexpectedly in reading a book that was set around um, geographical features that I knew and, you know, half the cast of the families back and forth from Adelaide and I thought actually that doesn't happen all that often and it happens rarely enough to be really noticeable when you experience it and I wonder are if there, people are there many books like well-known books set in Adelaide that... well I guess like when I was growing up like you know there's a kind of a um class of Australian novelists that I mean I'm very familiar with like anybody with the surname Goldsworthy um Colin Tearley, you know, which um, we read... Who was laughing? <laughs> Colin Tearley's not funny. Um, uh, and Barbara Hanrahan, for instance. So, I mean, there are, like, great writers from South Australia. Um, but I wonder if... Um, I mean, I wonder if you're from London and you read a book set in London, you get the same thrill, or you're just like, meh. Happens all the time. I, I, when I lived in Washington, I did used to get... I mean, so many books are set in Washington, of course, every bloody spy thriller. But when I actually lived there, I did get a thrill when they'd go, so-and-so got out of his car on K Street and walked into blah, blah, blah. And I'd think, yeah, I walk there every day. And so, yeah. But, I mean, Brisbane... Um, David Maloof's probably the most famous Brisbane writer. But a lot of Brisbane people do have an affection from my vintage for Zigzag Street by Nick Earls because you just hardly... It's about, you know, a guy at the University of Queensland and, and there haven't been that much sort of stuff like that. There's John Birmingham's... Um, he died with a falafel and um, uh, Praise. Yeah, I remember reading Praise mm. and I feel like I learned a lot about it, Brisbane or a certain part of Brisbane by reading Praise. But, like, but Brisbane... I mean, the Brisbane literary scene is quite pumping at the moment, isn't it? Because like, Melissa Lukashenko, um, um, yeah. who wrote Too Much Lip... Has yeah, Benjamin Law and all that crew. Um, do you know the other thing that at the moment is giving Brisbane people all the feels is Bluey, the kids' cartoon. <gasps> How great is Bluey? <laughs> oh, and apparently giving the Adelaide people all the feels oh, too. Yeah. But, I mean, that show is so good. Yeah, it's great. Do you know what? I've made a terrible error, which is we did a story about Bluey on 7.30 and... The, Identifying what? the principal character as a cat. I mean, the ABC is just... <laughs> um, and what was your cock-up on Bluey? Just how unbelievably successful it's been and how it's selling overseas and so forth. Anyway, the, one of the key people involved sent me an email to say, we have thrown around would, the idea of, would you be interested in guest voicing a character on Bluey? Which, of course, I said 100% yes. I then made the fatal error of going home in the very next day telling my children, guess what? <laughs> Mummy's been asked to voice a character on Bluey and not a day now goes past that they don't say, Mummy, you on Bluey yet? Is it going to happen though? I haven't heard anything more about it. <laughs> it's all gone quiet. Oh, God, it's really awkward. God, that will actually be the coolest thing you've ever oh, done. Oh, completely. Like, now, see you later, interview with Paul McCartney. <laughs> You are history. I love that show. Did you see the story this week about Paul McCartney flattening um, coins on the train track in, I think it was Connecticut? 
So what? you can play the Present guitar. day? Yeah. So you, and there was photos of him. So you can play the guitar with um, ki- kids, you know, in the six, 50s and 60s, would put them on a railway track and the train goes over them and it flattens them and it makes a sort of good guitar pick. And it makes a particular noise because it's, you know, metal on metal as opposed to what a pick is regularly made of. Um, so... Uh, Somebody snapped Paul McCartney last week in a sort of... Accidentally snapped whilst... Daggy daggy hat and shorts and a T-shirt, standing in the middle of nowhere, Mm -hmm. putting coins on a railway track. And who accidentally snapped this? I've got no idea, but if you Google Paul McCartney railway tracks... Wow, it's got the absolute ring of a Taylor Swift new bow (laughs) accidental... (laughs) It'd be a terrible way for McCartney to go, though, wouldn't it? Like, accidentally... (laughs) Bang, bang, Maxwell Silver I know it sounds like I'm trying it on, but I seriously do have one more question about that egg thing. Yeah. Does it... So when it chops the top, yeah. does it, like, suck the top up into itself or...? No. So does um, it work on a so soft... So sometimes it does create a bit of a vacuum and you've got to kind of, like, <laughs> wrestle with it a bit to get it off. But right. essentially what it does, because the inside of the sort of cap thing is a bit is sharp but pointed inwards so when the when the big sort of knob descends (laughs) when the knob descends it delivers a consistent shock in a circle to um so does that mean it cuts the cap off basically but does that mean you just get a little butter knife and you go and then you've got this beautiful... But does that mean you can't do it on a soft-boiled? Because do, when you take... No, it's best on a soft-boiled, baby. Oh. Yeah. Doesn't, when you take the top, doesn't some of the soft yolk drip onto the... No. Okay. All right. Because it's a straight across. So you've, like, cut the top off. And, of course, the top is a bit cooked. I mean, it depends, to be honest. You don't I like a soft-boiled? I do not like yeah. a soft-boiled egg. I wish I did, but I do not. I'm sorry. I just like it... Hard boiled, so it bounces. So, like, when when we're talking about the recipients of is that these a textural eggs, thing or? I, I, I just I can't have. I certainly can't have any white that's runny. Oh. And yeah. um, and I even really the the yolk. In fact, the dipping of the which my children love. I am polite about, but I'm like, oh <laughs> I can't. No. So I'll have a boiled egg, thank you. I love a boiled egg, but... So I have finally, in the past two weeks, read a book that I feel like I've seen everywhere and been meaning to read, which is Normal People by Sally Rooney. Well done. Has anyone here read it? Okay, yep. It feels like... Ages ago. It feels like everyone on the planet's read it. Um, So it's a story, it's... Marianne and Connell, who are at high school together. Connell's mum cleans the house of Marianne's mum. Connor's family, he's a single mother, they don't have much money, Marianne's family's rich. Um, They start sleeping together even though he won't sort of fess up to that at school. She's not well-liked or popular at school and so he keeps it a secret that they're sort of having this thing. Um, They end up going both to Trinity College in Dublin and then they have this on-again, off-again sexual relationship. They're clearly in love with each other but they sort of, for some reason, want to keep it as just a sort of... Um, I don't know, casual type thing. Um, I'm about 80% of the way through it. Um, 
It's okay. I'm not getting a really enthusiastic read yeah. off here. No, I just, I'm, I am actually I curious really like to hear your take book. on it because I feel like, am I missing something here? Oh, there's bits of it that I like. Sure. I really like this book, actually, and I read it, I really read it um, really consistently and sped through it, and then afterwards I went back and I read um, Sally Rooney's debut novel, Conversations with Friends, um, which I also really liked. I think she's got this quite interesting voice about um, the dynamics of relationships between young people. Like, there's this kind of almost sort of disengaged quality to the relationships that I find really interesting. Um, yeah, maybe because I'm ancient. That's interesting that you say that because I have wondered as I'm reading it, am I too old for this because I don't it's get the subculture. It's possible you may be. Yeah. Yeah. I thought, no, I thought <laughs> that that might be part of it. Um, she, does, she has sort of interesting little nuggets of wisdom. The, the main issue for me is that I, I don't feel very invested in or I don't really care very much about either of the characters. Really? Yeah. Well, no, I didn't feel like that at all. I just right. was interested in their aimlessness and I think that um, like I wonder if that is an effect of um, so much sensation being at the fingertips of um, young people. Listen, a couple of nanas up here. What the young people you see now, they've got the internet. They don't need to go on dates. Um, But there is this sort of creative aimlessness to the way that they proceed and it's, it's actually quite similar to Conversations with Friends, which is a different sort of a story but has that same kind of underlying feeling. I find it, you know, it's almost, I feel a bit like a tourist reading it, but I do find it, um, I find it very compelling and she's certainly a great writer. I do love hearing, I must admit, even at work, younger people's perspectives and ideas and thoughts about things. I I just find them really interesting. Like I love... I don't know, I just, I love it. And I'm sort of... There's no way to get out of this without just sounding like a complete man. <laughs> no, I do. Like, hot Callum that we often talk about is, um, like... It's our passport to credibility, right? <laughs> he's 16 years younger than me, 17. Um, and I, I love hearing his take on stuff because he just brings a different, like, perspective and life experience. It's really, really great. Years and years ago, I read um, um, with my friend Rachel, who I lived with at the time, um, a novel called The Secret History by Don Tarr. Um, And it was... I remember reading it like I was probably about 19 and um, it was such a gripping book. Yeah, because The Secret History had a mystery in it as well as the relationships between... ..which normal people does not. And it, it, um, it was so gripping that we just... We took days off uni to stay home and just watch it and read it and we were like sitting in opposing armchairs reading it and then at the end of each chapter we'd quiz each other on our comprehension of what had happened. Uh-huh. It was like the most intense. Each with your own copy of the book or were you passing well, it back she gave it to me for my birthday and then read the copy that she gave to me for my birthday right. as I recall. She's appalling like that, Rachel. Still it hasn't changed. Um, but somehow we wound up with two copies and we were reading it. Um, I anyway, remember doing... Oh, sorry, you go. But I only bring this up because um, I read a book the other day um, which is called, which was billed as The New Secret History. I thought, oh yeah, okay, give it a shot. Because the the secret history was about this group of completely, in retrospect, ridiculous characters who were um, in sort of, where were they? Somewhere in New England studying um, uh, ancient Greek 
and they get very involved with their tutor and they, you know, decide to get together and kill a man to see what that would feel like. Sorry, spoiler alert. Um, <laughs> to see what a proper bacchanal would feel like. And so this book that I just read is called The Truants. It's also about a group of university students who get very carried away and a bit too intimate with their tutor. And um, it's set in England. I've got to say... I really liked it. Oh, okay. <laughs> as much as the I mean, secret history? Or? Look, it was look, it's a bit of a um look, it's it's a bit of a literary page turner, I'd say. Right. Uh, an LP. Okay, that sounds good. I enjoyed it. The truants, <laughs> did you say? The truants. The truants. The truants. Yes. If you enjoy Chat Ten, you can visit it. Well, that's going well. <laughs> if you enjoy Chat Ten, you can visit it. <laughs> What my friend is trying to say is if you enjoy Chat 10, you can visit our website, www.chat10looks3.com. What are we actually saying? I can't remember. No, no, keep it Like, this is gold. Keep it going. Okay. Go visit, visit our website. You can follow us on iTunes and leave a review. Um, our website, Chat 10 Looks 3, just Google it. You'll get there. We've got a link called Bedside Table where you can buy books. Sometimes we have merchandise. You can download the podcast. Um... That's about it, isn't it? Follow us on Twitter, follow us on Instagram. You're the greatest. You're so good at this. I went up to Byron Bay for the Writers Festival and while I was there I read See What You Made Me Do by Jess Hill, which is her book about domestic violence, which I had had heard good things about it but I sort of felt like, you know, it's going to be – I feel like I get a lot of darkness at my job – do I want to immerse in that in my spare time? Um, and also we've had a lot of talk about domestic violence, a lot of coverage of domestic violence. Uh, you know, really, is there anything more to learn? Uh, yes, there is. Um, it's a really good book. It, it actually reminded me when I was reading it, it made me think about... Um, it was like she had done a Rubik's Cube where she'd, like, done, you know, one side and then another side. And, I mean, that's probably not how you do a Rubik's Cube, is it? You probably have to do them all at the simultaneously. <laughs> I think we're all going with your vibe. <laughs> but you know what I mean? It was like she turned something over and looked at it from many different perspectives. And I found a lot of the research around, like there's a really interesting chapter about shame and the role that feeling shame plays in violence and just talking about the emotion of shame and where it comes from and how um, it's one of the most corrosive human emotions and so forth. Anyway, it was a very, and, and also there was another chapter which was really impactful about why women stay with perpetrators of domestic violence. Um, and, yeah, it was just... I, I recommend it. It was a very good read. I admit that I did skim over some of the pages that went into case studies of people's personal experience just because, as I said, I just feel like for self-protection I can't immerse all the time in that kind of material. But um, hey, it's a really you, good book. Were you listening the other morning when Sabra teared up after back announcing that? You know, I, I actually wasn't listening. So this was Sabra Lane, the host of AM... Um, presented a, a, a story about um, surrogate children in, in the Ukraine. I, I just I don't, even, don't want to talk about it because I'll make me tear up. I saw the headline and did not even read on because I knew that it would be a really distressing story. And so she did the intro, the story came on, and then when it came back to her, she just was a wreck. She was, like, sobbing. And... Um, I text, she's a very good friend of mine and I texted her and said we should talk because that I have various strategies that I use because it is really difficult to all the time hear that stuff um, and then suck all of your natural human emotion back and then just read on to the next item it's really hard to do what it. is the technique 
Um, I sometimes uh, make them just turn the volume down. I will, I will not listen to it on live television. I always feel like if people have told their story that, and on, on the show that I present that it deserves me to listen to it, but I, and so I will later, but I can't do it on live TV. I sometimes will watch something before. Our staff know to brief me if something's really impactful. I often ask or will look at how a story ends so I know what is the last thing I'm going to see so I don't get blindsided by that. Um, so there's various things. I must say actually writing Any Ordinary Day has helped me a lot as well because... I have a sense now when I see people on the show that are going through something really terrible that their life will go on. I, 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 don't, I don't get so stuck anymore on the thought that how could you possibly cope with that? Your life would be destroyed. You could never go on. Now I understand that most people are able to, in a very painful way, go on over time. And so I look at people when they're in a lot of pain and think that won't be their permanent life forever. It will, over time, be more manageable for them. Um, so, But, yeah, I really felt for Saab because I, I thought that was a very sad story and, and, I mean, I can totally understand why she got blindsided by it. Don't you think sometimes if you're on um, um, TV or radio live a lot, you kind of get a bit... I mean, you, you just can be taken by surprise by things that can just you, you assault do, and it's, you on air. It's, without... I think it's like grief in life actually where um like you get there's things when when you've got grief in your life you prepare yourself for things because so you know like okay it's so-and-so's birthday or it's the first Christmas or I'm going to go to this place that we always went to together and so you brace yourself the stuff that just I find destroys you is when you're just living your normal life and you're having a fairly good day and then somebody does something or they're wearing the same shirt or something and so you haven't been able to brace yourself and then you just get absolutely walloped because you're not prepared um, and I find that the same in our job sometimes that um, you think that oh this probably won't be that upsetting but then it does or somebody says something unexpectedly like I was thinking about Tim Fisher this week actually um, because last time he, the very last interview that I did with him on the ABC, which was maybe, feels like six months ago, might have been a year ago, um, the last thing he said, and I hadn't asked him about the ABC, but he just, I asked him, I think, how he was actually going with his health, and he said, oh, I'm going pretty well, Lee. Can I just say one thing before I go? And then he said, it talked about the ABC, and he said, the ABC is always under attack, and I just want to say that the, this country would be lost without the ABC and people in regional Australia, blah, blah, blah. And he gave this really, um, yeah... Um, very heartfelt, good thing about message about the ABC. And it meant a lot coming from a very um, well-respected conservative politician to say that because also the ABC, most of the time when I'm interviewing people and the ABC comes up, they're critical. And I know that, you know, myself, that I work really hard. I know most of my colleagues work really hard and we really do do our best to do what we can to cover a whole range of issues that people care about. And so it's sort of like that thing when, you know, someone's really kind or nice to you unexpectedly, and I thought, I'm going to, like, start crying because he's just being so nice. You can bear it until they're kind. <laughs> yeah, that's right, exactly. <laughs> should just I'm give so you the couple of copies of The Australian to I'm read. So, Come on, I'm buck right. up. I'm so used to people punching me in the face that someone actually being nice. So, uh, yeah, so it's it's that thing you get you get, like surprised by something and that's when you get sort of rattled. Just get 
Jared Henderson on for an interview <laughs> to balance right it out. <laughs> <laughs> hey, um, sorry, you go. I, I read a really surprising um, book that I kind of picked up quite randomly and thought, like, what is this book? Um, it's also by an Adelaide writer, actually, so, like, two for two so far. Um, uh, look, it's, it's called Poster Boy, and it's a memoir written by this guy called Peter Drews, Adelaide boy, um, and he's the dude who has done the, the, these national poster campaigns. When I saw one um, on just sort of Grenfell Street or somewhere um, quite central just even this afternoon. So his, he did um, uh, all these posters that said, Real Australians say welcome, like it was just a text one. And then he also did this beautiful series um, of posters of... Um, there was a one of a um, Afghan camelier, absolutely beautiful old photograph, and it said Aussie. So anyway, it's kind of like he's kind of a political artist, he's a street artist, but this memoir is so great. Like, because, look, he's not someone that is, you know, everyone would necessarily have heard of. And so you think, well, hang on, why are you writing a memoir? But the memoir is so unassuming and so thoughtful. So he obviously is a political activist, but he's so full of self-doubt and he questions his own motives and his own methods so closely and so scrupulously that it's a really great piece of work because it's by a polemicist who is actually not that extreme or without thought about his own um, motives and ideals. It's a really it's a really fascinating book. I'm really loving it. Um, we put out a call on social media for people to send us questions that they might like us to answer. So I'll go to those. I know, Can I, so many questions. There were heaps, so we won't be able to get to all of them. Um, can I just, before we do that, say two quick things, just because we've talked about some sort of rather bleak stuff, two things that I reckon would cheer you right up. One is... Um, Conversations with Richard Feidler, um, although it's actually Sarah Konofsky who does this interview. Um, it's Brian Brown, the Australian actor. Oh, God. It's just such a wonderful episode. He's a wonderful storyteller. And he just evokes a certain um, type of Australian male of a certain era um, and a certain place. And um, just even the sound of his voice and the way that he speaks is fantastic. It's really entertaining. What's the, other the, what's the occasion for the... Has he written something? No, he's got it... that film Palm Beach that's oh, come out okay, that Rachel right. Ward, his oh, wife's directed. Okay. The other quick thing is... Um, this is so weird that I'm going to say this when we've bumped into Koshi this morning. The weatherman on Sunrise, his name is Sam Mack. Do you know him? Right. Does anyone know who Sam Mack is? If you're on Instagram... His Instagram is so funny um, and it's not – you have to follow it for a while, I think, to get the humour because there's a lot of running in gags, probably like this podcast. If you w look at one of them in isolation, you'll go, oh, here's a guy singing – dressed up as a cat and singing a song called Half Man, Half Cat. Oh, I see. And I see where this is it going. It won't seem funny, but when – it's the sheer volume of stuff – I, it's really hard to explain why it's How so funny. How much of it is costume work, Lee? He just, he does, it's it's not just that, he does a lot of stuff, but I swear How to God... How much of it is musical numbers, Lee? Not that much of it, a small percentage, maybe 20%. <laughs> 
<laughs> anyway, I swear, it is a, it's a community service. It makes me laugh every single day. It's, he's really funny. This actually reminds me of a really good question that somebody sent in. And, like, we should just jump in Yeah, there. we're going to jump straight in. Um, okay. Um, <laughs> this actually, is... this is, like, weirdly from two separate people. Robin Gargano, also from Andrea Leith, wanted to know, now that you've been journalists for so long, <laughs> what alternative career path would you like to follow if given the chance, if you didn't have to worry about paying the mortgage? Um, I'm so, also... you clearly would be some sort of... I'm assuming... Strolling troubadour. <laughs> I'm assuming that uh, having the actual skill set is not a barrier either, right? No, I okay. think blue sky it, baby. Good. Okay, I would be an orchestral musician um, in the cello section. <laughs> yeah, who doesn't want to do that? Everyone wants to do it. Do you know that when we walked into this space and Lee Sales said, sorry, I wasn't paying attention, is this like a town hall or something? <laughs> Details... Um, (laughs) Yes. She saw this device and she said, oh, I wish I'd known. I can play one of those. Yeah, when I was a teenager, so I had a scholarship for a while. There was a pipe organ. um, There was two pipe organs in Brisbane. I think there still are only two. One of them's been smoked. The other one's still around. (laughs) One of them's in Brisbane Town Hall, the other one City Hall. The other one's at... Kelvin Grove in an auditorium there and um, playing a pipe organ is not the same as playing a regular organ the, the problem being that it takes time for when you, from when you push the key to when the air travels up through the pipe and comes out so what you're playing is about a good from memory three to four seconds behind what's God, coming out so it's out. like interviewing somebody on a time delay it's yeah. awful and so you have to when I would first go in I would think this is just completely impossible because um you slow down the playing to try to match what you're hearing. So you actually have to let go of what you're hearing. So you're sort of playing by, or I did at that level, I don't know, maybe proper and advanced people are listening. I I had to, like, almost divorce myself. You're playing by sort of feel um, as opposed to sound. It was a really weird experience. And it feels, as you can see, because it's so big, it feels when you're playing it like you are driving something. must be like what it feels like doing a jump, flying a jumbo jet or something. It feels massively like you are flying something that's barely under your control. It's almost a highway to the danger zone. (laughs) (laughs) It is. That is so funny. I just also hope that scholarship recipient pipe organ, close brackets, is still on your CV, (laughs) along with Highland Dancer. what What would you be? I'd be a falconer. Oh, God. Are we going to be hearing about this H's for Hawk book again? H's for Hawk is a great book, <laughs> A. And B, I know because it involves bird life, you're not into it. But, you know, honestly. Mm. Okay, um, let but, me read another but, but, question. Sh- 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 I'm not finished. Um, I flew an owl last year. We went um, wow. as a family to uh, England and we stayed in this place called Bovey Castle, only because you can do falconry there. There you go. And what? You've there told you go. Us, no, you've told that story before. <laughs> and then the full 7.30 rap. There you go. Really lovely. Anyway, <laughs> we're right out of time, Annabelle Crabb. So tell, tell the owl story if you want. <laughs> I flew an owl. It was awesome. It was a really big owl. It was a European There's... owl called Merlin. I'll ask you. 
did you know yeah, that... It was the thing about the guy who got dive-bombed at the... Yes, he did. Yeah. I told that story, but I didn't tell this one, which is <laughs> that um, the UK is full of owls that live in sanctuaries because when Harry Potter was first huge, all these people gave their kids owls for their birthdays and for Christmas, which is really stupid because owls make rotten pets and they do not send Hermione messages <laughs> or, you know, turn into a whatever to come and save you when you're in trouble. It just does not happen. In fact, they're just grumpy, they're nocturnal, oh, they I tried eat rats. To cheer everyone up with Sam Mack and now you've raised anyway, abandoned owls. Now there's all these sanctuaries oh. that go and like oh, pick up the owls when story. people That's the sort of story I'd have to have the volume turned down. It would be so upsetting. <laughs> Okay, here's another question. Or perhaps you'd like to resume control of this uh, <laughs> Q&A. So, fair enough, sure. Um, perhaps you Okay, here's a question for you. Uh, here's one you'll like. What's your best recipe hack? Like, I use mozzarella as a swap for most exotic cheeses that Ottolenghi proposes. Alison Edwards asked that. Oh, so Alison... Is that the Alison Edwards I went to uni with? <laughs> of course it is. <laughs> Hello, Alison. <laughs> um, I think the greatest, well, I have a new hack every day that I'm in love with. Um, most days it's like put a rind of parmesan into anything you're cooking and it'll make it taste oh. much nicer. Uh, minestrone, bolognese sauce, whatever. Just don't put it in the bin. Just put it in something that you're cooking. That stuff is good. Don't forget to take it out and put it in the bin before you <laughs> eat it. Like, otherwise confusing for your guests. But um, I would say pan grattato, baby. Oh. Fried breadcrumbs. Oh. You can use that to tart up any old stuff. And if you have stale bread, like, you know, your, your sourdough that's gone a bit funny, don't chuck it out. Just I slice it really thinly into slices and then slice it into tiny cubes. That must be hard without an electric it's, knife. <laughs> <laughs> an electric knife would just be a train accident in this situation. I would not recommend it. You need the blade control, baby. Like, don't get your flora and your electric knife onto this. Um, and you can put those breadcrumbs into the freezer. And seriously, if you just um, put those into the oven with a little bit of um, olive oil, some garlic, maybe some chili flakes, some salt, and maybe some even pine nuts, maybe, although you'll immediately tell me that it's the wrong nut. Oh, if they're a savoury dish, no problem. Yeah, and then steamed vegetables, <laughs> macaroni cheese, beautiful, steamed fish, anything. Anything that's slightly boring or a bit past its best, <laughs> give it a bit of fried crunchy love. Okay. What is your favourite Adelaideism? Samantha Irwan oh. asked that. I feel like too easy is an Adelaideism, but it probably isn't. Um, <laughs> I did make some notes earlier. Miranda uh, <laughs> and I thought that I'd like to buy a vowel, Adriana. <laughs> That's probably it's a bit of a historical one, probably. I just like takes. It would take so long for me to explain that. that okay. Really yeah, I, I heard you guys talking about that before and I was puzzled by it. It's but anyway. a wheel of fortune gag. I mean, it's, yeah, it's, it's fun. There's some filthy uh, subtext to it or something. Strike me pink, I feel like, is a real, like, I don't know. That's like, I don't know. I feel like my dad says that, that sometimes still. No? Okay. Has anyone else got anything? We're like, nice and loud, yell it out. Heaps good. Heaps good. Oh, yeah, heaps, oh, heaps good. good. <laughs> 
Um, we also thought, yeah, nah, shit, nah. Because um, cause it's different from what you say in, in yeah, well, Queensland. Again, again, I heard you guys out the back going, yeah, nah. what, about, what about shit, nah, shit, nah? Yeah, nah. And I yeah, said, nah. that's so weird, because yeah, nah. in Queensland we say shit, yeah. <laughs> it's so weird that you guys say shit, nah. We're just we're a bit it's more discerning yeah. in that way. Okay, Greg Polanos, which ones would you have if you could only have three apps? Is it too cruel if I say um, ABC Listen? That is just such a good app. I just... Oh, okay. Yeah. No, that's a good answer. Yeah. It's I use it every single day, and because if you you can listen to ABC Radio happening anywhere in Australia, so like if the prime ministers, I mean, not that you'll all be as dictated by the movements of the prime minister as I am, but like ABC Brisbane is interviewing the prime minister, bing, you're listening to it live, and also if you've got the kind of slightly unusual morning listening pattern that I have, which is I like to get early AM on local radio and then I get um, uh, early early AM on local radio, then standard early AM on RN and then AM AM on, back on local radio. But then I want to hear the interview on RN at 7.30 as well, so I'm like, bing, 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 bing. It's a really useful app. I'd also go Pocket Casts um, because... I find it to be the best podcast app, and it is designed in South Australia. It's a really good podcast app, podcasts. This whole thing's an ad so far, sorry. I'm not getting money from anybody. Oh, except the ABC. I do get some money from them. Uh, and also, I would, I would keep Mad Libs. What's that? Mad Libs is this awesome, I don't know, like it's... I've, first got it as like a little book and um, it's like a game and we play it with our kids in the car and it's an app. Um, so um, essentially it will ask you for a noun, a verb, an adverb, you know, a part of the body, you know, blah, 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 just, and you'll type in any noun or verb or adverb or adjective that you can think of and then it stitches it together into a little story and then you can read out the story with all these random stupid things and every child thinks it's hilarious I think it's quite hilarious too but it also um, look on it in a boring way it teaches them what an adverb is which is you know <laughs> something that I <laughs> took a while to grasp myself so <laughs> it's very funny and also totally childish and entertaining so is I would keep that app for sure is an adverb just a word that ends in an L-Y? That's what well, I was taught. It's like... <laughs> look, I grew up in a regional pocket, all right? Like, <laughs> but, you know... Pretty much. Except for lovely. <laughs> except for lovely. That's not an adverb. No, but I mean, can you have an adverb like... Well, an adverb I, is like an adjective for a verb, hence the term ad adverb, yeah, I guess. But it, comes, it comes at the back, though, right? Of what? <laughs> the noun. Well, I move sneakily to cut the yes. feed of your microphone because you're annoying me but so you could, much. I guess you could have, I sneakily moved, but yeah, I but, wouldn't. I well, wouldn't if you were going to split an infinitive, I guess, maybe, yeah. you know, you'd, you'd go down that path, but I don't know, it's up to you. Okay, the three apps I'd have, uh, I just went on what I think I use the most, um, Spotify. Completely changed my life. I even have Spotify on my phone. <laughs> Sorry, I don't. I don't even it have just, it on my phone. It's changed my life. Um, Kindle, because I do, I reckon, yep, more, here, than, here. more than 50% of my reading on Kindle these days. And do you feel a bit like a... I, I, 
I read on my phone now quite a bit, and when I first saw people doing that, I thought, I'm never going to do Yeah, I haven't that. got to that level. I still I will only do it on the iPad. I won't read it on the phone. Right. I just do it all the time. I'm doing it wow. right now. Wow. Yep. Uh, yeah. Um, and Netflix. Yeah, I just I use those ones all the time. Yep. Um, okay, Jane Cook. Should Julie Andrews have been cast over Audrey Hepburn in the film version of My Fair Lady? Absolutely, but we might be wrong about that because what history tells us is that My Fair Lady became a very famous, amazing film, and Audrey Hepburn, you know, is just a superstar, and it's one of her most well-known films. And so you'd have to say you'd have to say that that history judges that decision fairly well. But nonetheless, I feel a bit sorry for Julie Andrews because she was the one who was the gigantic star of it on Broadway. Um, It's RuPaul's... Conflicted. Me? No view. That's pretty much (laughs) what you were all expecting. (laughs) Emma Emma Ginman. It's RuPaul's Drag Race and you're both up for elimination. Oh, God, what is it? Did you write all of these? (laughs) What is your people? Just like... Complete sick fans have just sent in Lee Sales questions. (laughs) Where's the ones about birds of prey, I ask you? (laughs) Nowhere. (laughs) <laughs> Who wins the lip sync for your life and what would your preferred song be? I don't even know what that is. Uh, but if I had to lip sync a song, it would be Hey Big Spender. I don't know. <laughs> I would choose... It's my karaoke song. I never do karaoke. I would choose Spinning Around by Kylie Minogue. And you would win. And I you would You probably, probably would. Could okay. a little bit of it right now? No. Tammy Davis <laughs> sent in. Oh, you're there. That's you. Oh, oh hi, Tammy Davis. She's here from Tanzania. Why don't you... Hey, come on. Just come on. Ask a question personally since yes. you're in the front row. Tammy Davis visiting from Tanzania. There it is there. Here's my question. I normally live in Tanzania in East Africa. Totally stoked to be in Adelaide at just the right time to catch the Chat 10 live show. Which of Africa's 54 countries would you most like to visit and why? Thank you, Tammy, and also welcome. I think you win the prize for coming here, um, uh, travelling the longest distance. Yeah. Is anyone By the way, here can we just say a big thank you to everybody in the audience who's come along? I know that, I mean, I ran into somebody in the taxi queue come from Sydney, which, oh. you know, probably also sitting with Koshi. But um, so thank you for coming. I know that there's book clubs from ever. There's one from Victor Harbour. I know, squired by a person who recommended us to her book club with the words, "It's just like our book club, only more intelligent," <laughs> and somehow survived that experience. Can I? So, can I just? I just had a terrible feeling. Well can done, I, Erica. Can I, can I just check? Koshi, are you here? <laughs> <laughs> well, I understand he was, Lee. <laughs> Uh, which country in Africa? I mean, I'm assuming you have a, an answer prepared. I'd like to go to Morocco. I hope that... Is that all right? Yeah. What, like, just what do you like about the vibe? Food and food. Right. And just also more food. <laughs> um, I think I would go to Egypt just because I feel like we got taught about it at school and it, it just seems such a fascinating history and mysterious and amazing and it's just one of those things I feel like I've heard so much about it over the years that I'd really like to clap my own eyes on the pyramids. Is it related to any Harrison Ford films that you've seen? I feel, <laughs> I feel, I mean, I'm probably a little sorry, bit of that. but I feel yeah, I need to check that. There'd be a little bit of that. Um, okay, what questions? But oh, basically yeah. we'll come and visit you, I think. 
if that's okay. Oh, I think we are. All right. Brilliant. To, oh, here's... Oh, no, hang on. We've done that one. Okay, I think we're up to the last question. Um, how has becoming... It's from Claire Gardner. How has becoming publicly known in a more f- personal, frivolous way affected your lives as serious journos? More of a question for you, really, Lee, once again. <laughs> <laughs> You're the person with more lose, I guess, really, on this front. <laughs> well, I do wonder about that more um, for you than I do for me because I feel like I've done lots of different things in my career being silly as half of the things that I've done um, and I have a short attention span so I like to do something different every year. you write very serious political analysis. That is true. Stand by for my serious quarterly essay out next week. (laughs) made me cry a lot when I had to write that but now it's done so suck on that. People who are still writing books. <laughs> Not me. Um, yeah, well, I don't know. I, I like writing about serious things, but I also like to have a bit of fun while I do it. Like, I always find a, um, an engaging or entertaining prose style a real, like, gateway to walk through if I'm reading about something I don't already understand all that well. Um, but... I think I get a lot more freedom to roam than you do because, you know, you're Australia's premier current affairs journalist and also <laughs> one of the most beautiful women on TV. Oh, <laughs> As, <laughs> sorry. It's been a while since I've reminded yeah, you haven't that one. That in for a while. So, I don't know. You're the one that's kind of doing the hard yards being um, um, a proper journalist. Look, I, I have to night. say I have... I think, luckily for me, it's sort of came us starting this at a time when the media was probably changing a bit because I think had I been hosting... Everybody became idiots, so it was fine. (laughs) No, had I been, say, hosting 7.30 Report in 1995 and I started hosting some, you know, pop culture type... Chain um, letter. Yeah. Um, That it would have been probably more viewed as, um, oh, well, you're undermining your credibility. Where I think the sort of media era we're in now, the idea of that the television anchor is some serious robotic type person from on a high that doesn't have a personality beyond their serious credible persona, I think that we have moved past that and that audiences like a more um, a sense that the person's relatable and humane and so forth. Having said that, I do remember when we started doing this, um, a, a colleague who's a friend of mine is a very experienced foreign correspondent, um, he said to me, I don't know why you're... Like, you've got a really strong reputation in serious journalism. I don't understand why you'd be risking it by doing this on the side. To which I said, that's interesting. Did you take Barry Cassidy aside when he started hosting his sports show Outsiders at the same time as doing Insiders? Um, Because there's certain subjects... Like, it's okay to just... The blokes talk about sport and you're not destroying your credibility. But if women talk about books and cooking and whatever... Anyway, but I think for me overall, it, it, I, I don't feel that the audience thinks that I have lost credibility. I think the audience understands that I can do very serious work and I can also be my normal self who's interested in lots of different things. And for me, it's been very liberating because I get to indulge my interests in other things. Um, and also, I think... Like, I do get a lot of pleasure out of the way the audience now in real life and on social media or whatever, 
interacts with me, the manner in which people interact with me. I was saying to Crab earlier, if I go to a conference that I'm emceeing or if I show up somewhere because I'm doing an interview for 7.30 or if I'm just in a cafe or whatever, um, invariably somebody will always come up and go, you know, clang or just wanted to say hi, I'm a chatter. And um, pretty much the second someone says that they're a Chat 10 listener or chatter, I feel that I relax straight away. It's like you just have that instant thing of knowing that they're sort of on the same wavelength as you. Um, so I, f- I have found that absolutely fantastic. So I, I don't personally, I mean, probably someone other than me should ask, but I don't, I don't personally feel that it's undermined my credibility. I feel like it's opened up, um, you know, a chance for the audience to see me as a more rounded human being. I feel like I have as much respect for you as I ever did. (laughs) (laughs) But it's true. I mean, how long is it now that we've been doing this podcast? I can't even remember. I don't know. Uh, Years? Actually, it's five years this November. Is it? Can you believe that? November 2014 was the first one. Well, that is so funny because when we started off, someone came up to me the other day and said, now what's this... Silly, why do you call it Chat 10 Looks Me? And I said, well, just because Miranda suggested it and we thought it was funny and also we didn't think that anyone would ever listen. But um, anyway, now it can't be changed because it's A, it's still funny and B, it's, you know, you couldn't change it. But um, the thing that I suppose, apart from the erosion of both of our credibility, uh, is just this sort of meeting this extraordinary network of people who look after each other and turn up here in our massive fund. So um, I would like to thank all of you who made the effort to come out here tonight, not only for humanising Lee Sales <laughs> and for corroding both of our professional uh, respectability, but just being such absolutely fabulous people. So we are out of time because it's nearly nine o'clock and this lady's got to go to bed. <laughs> But thank you, Adelaide, and beyond. Thank you. <laughs> thank, thank you so you. much.